me life in a brand new way. I'm so thankful, I want to say, thank you, Lord, for a brand new day. Such a beautiful day. Good morning, Overberg. This is Mario wishing you a fantastic day in the knowledge of a gracious God who loved you so much that he doesn't hesitate to give his life for each one of us without us even asking for it. Yes, as the Bible states in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow! He didn't wait for us to change. He didn't require repentance. He didn't demand undertakings, commitments, or promises. No, he gave his life for us while we were still sinners. Yes, that's our God, Abba, Father, Friend, Lord, King, and Savior. Thank you for tuning in to I Didn't Know That, a program where I will attempt to present to you a God that possibly you might not have heard of before. A God of infinite love, eternal salvation, complete pardon, and undefeatable grace. A God void of traditional views, limiting legalism, and warping religion. The God of grace. The God of good news. May that God bless you as you listen. Recently, Pope Francis has changed the traditional interpretation of verse 13 of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. That used to say, lead us not into temptation, to abandon us not when in temptation. And why is that? Because he argued that the wording is not a good translation. The Pope further stated, it's not about letting me fall into temptation, it's I, the one who falls, not God pushing me toward temptation, so as to then see how I fall. No, a father wouldn't do that. A father will immediately help you pick yourself up. Satan is the one leading you into temptation. That's Satan's task. As much as I agree wholeheartedly with Pope Francis about the problematic suggestion of a loving father leading his children to sin, which, by the way, is the ultimate logic outcome of temptation, as the Apostle suggests in James 1, 13-15, I have to wonder how a man with the enormous theological knowledge a Pope should have would not know that the Lord's Prayer is not part of the New Testament <laughs> and therefore not under the dispensational grace. It's a prayer not given to Christians. He should very well know that the Testament begins to function at the death of the testator and not at his birth. Hebrews 9, 16, 17 states unequivocally that where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For the testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Hence, the New Testament, the only note, the only covenant with the Gentiles, the dispensation of grace, begins with Jesus Christ from the cross. It is finished, not with his birth, but with his death. Not at the crib, but at the cross, not in Matthew 1.1, but in John 19.30. So, so that means that when Jesus instructed his Jewish disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, as it is universally known, he was not addressing a New Testament audience of Gentiles, but his people Israel, who, according to Galatians 4, 4 and 5, that says, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus' audience 
was under the Mosaic law of 613 commandments and needed to understand the absolute futility of trying to fulfill that law by themselves. That's why, dear Francis, maybe we should concern ourselves with the whole prayer rather than just a single verse. Do you realize the blatant contradiction between the Lord's Prayer and, let's say, it's one of many verses, but let's say Colossians 2.13, where he states quite unreservedly that all our trespasses and sins are forgiven, regardless of whether we forgive anyone or not. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Do you realize that Jesus tells his Jewish audience to ask God to forgive their sins in the same measure they forgive those who have sinned against them? Verse 12. And that if they don't do that, the Father will not forgive them either. Verses 14 and 15. Do you realize, sir, that millions of myopic Christians have prayed that very prayer, parrot style, for hundreds and hundreds of years? Do you realize, Your Holiness, that most of the Church has called a curse upon itself, even if unconsciously and sincerely, by asking God equal retribution for their ability to do what only God can do, forgive unconditionally? I plead with you, dear friends, don't be so careless to not even care to understand and to agree with the request you're busy making to God. I implore you, dear sister. Don't let tradition hoodwink you into saying something without even valuing the rationality of what you're saying. I beg you, dear brother, don't believe everything the church demands for you to believe without first checking its validity through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Are you really sure you want God to forgive you the same way you forgive others? The same way you forgave Uncle Max? Yeah, the one that robbed you of your inheritance. Or your ex-wife that cheated you with your best friend. Or your boss that swindled you out of your rightfully earned overtime simply because he knew very well you couldn't do anything about it. Or the thief that robbed you of all your dear and precious possessions the night he broke into your house. Or what about that animal that raped your daughter and caused her to commit suicide? Are you sure you have forgiven them? Are you sure you want God to forgive you in the same way you have forgiven them? Are you out of your mind? Let me give you an example. You're driving your car going home on the highway one night. Suddenly a drunken teenager cuts in front of you and on top of it, when you hoot, he gives you the finger. A split second later, he loses control of his car and slams into you, causing you to hit the concrete pylon at 130 kilometers an hour. You die instantly. You find yourself at the doors of heaven. Are you sure you want God to judge you eligible for heaven in terms of how you have forgiven the drunken teenager? Because my friend, you had no time to repent, did you? Are you out of your mind? And yet here we are, asking God to apply a law-based prayer that Jesus used to reveal to his people Israel the impossibility of righteousness without Messiah. Romans 9.30-10.4, to 10, 4, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end, the death, 
the completion of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So, the apostasis. You could just as well have left the Lord's Prayer the way it was. <laughs> because any sane, righteous by faith, forgiven by grace, New Testament believer with two grams of revelation in his brain will not pray that prayer. Ever. Amen. Such a beautiful day.